MRAP Snack. Rick's Rants! Hello and welcome. It's Rick Bucata Rant Time again. This is a special rant, actually. I think it's going to be interposed between the, the monthly rants. I want to welcome my guest, Steve Carroll. Steve, you're a Philadelphian, and it's nice to talk with you. Oh, nice to talk to you, too, Rick. We haven't met, but you work at a hospital there that I'm pretty familiar with. And in fact, one of my friends was the director there for about 15 years. Crozier Chester Medical Center. We're doing this to round out our conversations with regards to emergency department staffing. We started out with our P8, Mike Sharma and NP Martha Roberts, who are both, I'd have to say from what I know of them, exceptional providers. And then we also talked with the former dean at the University of Tennessee and director of the seven residencies in emergency medicine that are basically run by USACs. And then we talked with uh, Peter Vicellio, who was vice chairman of a, what I would have to call a legacy department in emergency medicine. has been around a really long time. And it's been the perception that we haven't rounded this out adequately and talked about people who, on the other side of the coin here, in terms of, I think our conversations were really, we were tr- trying to be more informational than not, but they didn't necessarily come across that way. So Steve has a point of view that has not been expressed very thoroughly yet. And it's my pleasure to welcome you, Steve. Steve, tell us a little bit about your background in terms of the environment in which you work. Sure. So I did my residency with the Army in San Antonio. I spent four years there, two years at Fort Hood, and then two years back in San Antonio. And then I moved to the Atlanta area, and I spent four years at Emory, where I worked at Grady, which is their big level one trauma center and county hospital in Atlanta. And then about a year ago, we moved up to back to the Philadelphia area where both my wife and I are from. And I'm now currently working at Crozier Chester Medical Center, Associate Professor of Emergency Medicine with Drexel University. I've been there for about a year. And you have some views on the use of PAs and NPs in the emergency department. Absolutely. So I just want to be very clear up front about this, that I respect and love working with NPs and PAs. And if you are an NP or PA, that wants to work in a physician-led team and take care of patients, then let's do it. Let's go take great care of patients and let's work as a team. The issue that myself and a lot of others had with the two previous episodes is that the issue of the independent practice of nurse practitioners and PAs was very glossed over. And of course, I think we should all agree that we can work together in a team that's led by a physician But Martha and Mike seem to imply that this independent practice thing was not something that needs to be worried about or concern a lot of people. And they felt that the, particularly the position statements from AEM were not being very kind to NPs and PAs. And what I would say is that the position statements from AEM are very reasonable in the fact that they call for NPs and PAs to work in physician-led teams. And because I think that's what's safest for patients because and we can go through the numbers on this. I do not believe that current NP and PA education is sufficient to allow the safe practice of emergency medicine or any field of medicine independently by NPs or PAs. I don't think our position actually is, is any different. I have restated multiple times what I think it would be the ideal, which would be for the physician assistants and nurse practitioners to truly act in conjunction with the uh, physicians. And I think, frankly, this is a little extreme, that that every patient in the department deserves to be seen by a physician, even if it is for 30 seconds to to just acknowledge that they're in the department. They've been waiting generally a long time. 
they're going to get charged about $1,500 for the most minor visit if they go to the emergency department. And it's not unreasonable to drop in after they can do the history, they can do the physical, you can supervise those kinds of things. And so we, I don't think we disagree at all. I'm really personally opposed to having NPs and PAs see their own patients and having doctors supposedly sign a stack of charts at the end of the shift. That is total bullshit. I think that that's got to stop. You shouldn't be putting your name on a piece of paper that you've not seen this patient. What does your name mean? So Rick, you and I completely agree on this, that we don't think that NPs and PAs should be practicing independently in the emergency department. And when I say practicing independently, I mean without any real-time physician supervision available. This, in my mind, does not necessarily mean that I need to see every single patient MP or PA sees, although that would be ideal. But what we're concerned about, and a lot of physicians are concerned about, are the completely independent practice of MPs and PAs where there is not a physician available for immediate consultation. And Martha, in particular, said in the podcast that MPs and PAs were not trained to do this, and we agree. But it is a rising problem in medicine, specifically on the nurse practitioner side. So the American Association of Nurse Practitioners has been very aggressive about pushing what they call full practice authority, which is an NP from the day they graduate can go out and practice independent of any physician supervision. And I just don't think that current NP or PA programs are sufficient to do this. On the PA side, they want to call this optimal team practice. But when you talk about optimal team practice, what they exactly define this as, and this is from their website, that we should eliminate the legal requirements for a specific relationship between a PA, physician, or any other healthcare provider in order for a PA to practice the full extent of their education, training, and experience. And so what this tells me is that it leads it to the individual PA to decide whether they consult a physician or not on the care of a patient. And in the history of modern medicine, that is independent practice. And since modern medicine started, independent practice means a physician who has done medical school and a residency. And current NP programs are graduating students with as little as 500 clinical hours of work. For PAs, it's about 2,000 clinical hours. On the physician side, when you take into account the last two years of medical school and a three-year residency, you're looking at about 13,000 clinical hours as a conservative estimate. And I can, I, I would love to break this down exactly how I arrive at this because I don't think physicians are used to thinking about clinical hours. We're just used to thinking about years of training. And we know that residency is long and hard and difficult and that we do many hours of training in residency, but let's break this down in how many hours. So let's make some conservative estimates of the number of clinical hours in medical school. So two years of medical school, let's say you do 50 weeks two weeks of vacation and do 40 hours a week for two years. So that's 2,000 clinical hours. So 50 times 40 times two years. So that's 4,000 clinical hours in medical school. In a three-year residency, let's be conservative and say that you do 60 hours a week times 50 weeks a year. Yes, the ACGME says that you have to have three weeks of vacation, but the math doesn't change too much. Let's just keep the numbers simple and round. Let's say that you do 60 hours a week for 50 weeks in a year. So you're getting 3,000 clinical hours a year times three years, that's 9,000 hours. So 4,000 plus 9,000 is 13,000 clinical hours for a, as a conservative estimate of the number of hours that physicians do in their training. Compare that to 500 for an MP or 2,000 for a PA. So if you're talking about nurse practitioner clinical hours versus physician hours, 
they're getting slightly less than 4% of our training. Said another way, physicians have 25 times more training than an MP does. On the PA side, they're getting about 15% of physician hours, or physicians have about six and a half times more clinical hours. And so some common arguments against this, one thing that's said is that, well, someone who is a nurse, their experience as a bedside nurse should count towards their clinical hours. And you're not being accurate when you say that they only have 500 clinical hours of experience. The problem is, is that nurse practitioner educational standards have greatly dropped over the years. If you talk to NPs like Martha, who did brick and mortar programs, who did something well above 500 clinical hours, maybe something in the range of 1,000 or 1,500, that's great. It's still not physician numbers. And the problem is, is that current diploma mills, especially in the NP side, I don't really think this is a problem on the PA side, but on the NP side, there are these diploma mills that have been online 100% since well before the pandemic and with very little quality control of their clinical hours. So people are expected to just document their own clinical hours. We have lots of documentation of nurse practitioners documenting clinical hours for their MP program when they're actually working as a bedside nurse, or they're not getting quality control where people are just signing off on their clinical hours. This is unfortunately something that's very rampant in these diploma mills. And so when you take a look at this, if you use another analogy, so there's a shortage of pilots and we're going to allow pilots with 4% of the usual pilot training to start flying planes, I think the public would be outraged. And unfortunately, we haven't kept up with educational standards on the NP side or the PA side. The PA side is, is still not a sufficient number of hours to qualify yourself to practice independently. And so I think that this is a real problem. And on the NP side, one of the other issues that we're running into is that it is possible to go from a bachelor's degree in anything healthcare related or not, do a one-year accelerated BSN, do NP school, and be seeing patients independently in 26 states in DC in just three years. Whereas for a physician, you're talking about a much longer haul. So you're talking about seven years of training and many more clinical hours. And so the problem that we're running into is that a lot of corporations are seeing NPs and PAs as a replacement for physicians. And when it's argued that NPs and PAs aren't replacing physicians, that's just wrong. We have many examples of this happening. We have many examples of this leading to poor clinical care. And what I go back to, if you want to work in a physician-led team, great, let's go take care of patients. But we're seeing emergency departments that are staffed only by an MP or PA. There was one particularly tragic case in Oklahoma. So this is the hospital in a suburb of Oklahoma where an NP who was just trained as a family nurse practitioner who should have never have been allowed to work in an emergency department by themselves was seeing patients completely independent of any physician oversight. There were some mistakes made, and I'm not going to go into individual issues with the care of this patient because then it just becomes, well, physicians make mistakes too. Absolutely. We all make mistakes. What I will say is that if anyone's interested in talking about this case, we can talk about it a little more, but the mistakes made were mistakes that no board-certified emergency medicine physician would make. I can say that unequivocally. But yet this nurse practitioner was allowed to work there as a family nurse practitioner, completely unsupervised. She didn't even have a physician that she could call to run patients by. And unfortunately, this 18-year-old patient died of a massive pulmonary embolism that we all would have diagnosed. And what it comes down to is a lack of transparency. Patients are not being made aware of the training levels of people that are seeing them. And they're also not being aware of whether uh, NPs or PAs are being supervised by physicians. So 
I know that's kind of a long rant, but that's kind of the shorter version of the concerns that myself and a lot of physicians share when NPs and PAs are saying that you know physicians are just being mean when we want to talk about these issues. But I think it's a real patient safety concern when you have NPs and PAs graduate with many fewer clinical hours than physicians and beating the drum that they want to practice independently. The NPs that can work in the emergency department are by designation family nurse practitioners, and their training obviously is in family medicine, hypertension, diabetes, those kinds of things. And the focus on emergency medicine is is minimal. Agreed. So I think that in the emergency departments, we hopefully have some input into what the staffing will be. And I think that when emergency physicians get a little lazy, even when you're in an independent department and a, a democratic department, you can still see PAs and MPs seeing patients by themselves with a stack of charts at the end of the day. And that was the idea of the emergency physicians. And so I, I don't think we are without sin here. So I, I think that we all have to come together and say, we need to do this in a supervised way. And that when it is done together, it can be a lot of fun. And I think the idea is the physician assistant, they really want to be assistants. They have come back and said, that's what we were designed to do. And to the extent that they really are assistants, they can make your life so much easier. And these issues of burnout may be substantially attenuated if you had a helper so that you didn't have to do all the data entry, the CPOE, and all of these other kinds of things, which are just a waste of time for the vast majority of physicians, and that they could be so much more productive if they had the ability to just to kind of cruise the department and use their intellect to see that mistakes aren't made, that care is optimized, those kinds of things. You know, you did mention about 23 states, but I have to acknowledge that not all of them would allow you to go into independent practice when you graduate. About half of them require that you have some kind of clinical time. Some of it is up to like five years, but that's still the idea that half of them have independent practice the day you graduate, which is obviously nuts. We totally agree. And I think the reaction of myself and others was just that in the two episodes that Mike and Martha published were that these concerns about independent practice were just essentially glossed over and weren't really brought up as a major issue. Well, you know, I think that one of the reasons that they did that, and I know these folks really well, is they don't even consider the idea of independent practice in the, in the emergency department. They view it as this team model where everybody works together, where everybody can see all the patients together. They're not relegated to seeing just the minor cases for their entire career. You're going to be seeing you know, level ones and twos kind of thing or threes. So it's much more gratifying for them when they can see the shortness of breath patients with you. So you're working together to take care of this patient. So I think that we're not optimizing the, their utility short of we both don't agree about independent practice. Even in the emergency department setting where there's a doctor there all the time, I see PAs and MPs complaining all the time that the physicians are not interested in helping them out, reviewing their cases, answering their questions, and make them feel like it's an imposition to do that. And to the extent that you want to do that, it's just not going to work out. I agree. And I think particularly in emergency medicine, this idea of independent practice really can be avoided by not allowing them, you're not feeling comfortable seeing the level one, two, threes by themselves. Don't do that. Agreed. And then you're okay because the medical director in the department really is the one who's responsible for the level of care provided. And to the extent that he's not or she's not interfered with by administration saying, 
you know, we want to hire more NPs and we want you to get rid of some doctors to the extent that they have some say over that. The medical director sets the tune in the emergency department. They set the tune in a lot of ways in terms of how physicians feel about their colleague NP and PAs. It all comes from the top in terms of how this department's going to run. I completely agree. And as I said before, if you want to work on a physician-led team, let's do it. Let's go take care of patients. But myself and others have a lot of concerns about the rise of independent practice amongst both NPs and PAs. I will give one thing that I agree with, with optimal team practice on the PA side, is that they have stated that their recommendation is that if a physician does not directly see a patient, that they should not be liable for the care that the PA provides. I 100% agree with that. And I would love that to be the case. I'll tell you, it's it's a non-starter though, because the lawyers and the legislatures will never allow that to happen. They're always going to want to be able to drag doctors into malpractice cases when you sign off the chart as being available for consultation, but you didn't actually see the patient. And so I appreciate that olive branch, but I just want to make clear that optimal team practice is just independent practice under a different name. The AANP is much more aggressive with pushing what they call full practice authority, which is completely independent practice. And that that's my frustration. And I belong to a group called Physicians for Patient Protection, or PPP. And we're a grassroots organization of approximately 13,000 physicians that have been lobbying at the state level against these independent practice bills for NPs and PAs. And anytime you talk about this, it's a controversial subject. And I want to make it very clear, I'm not against the practice of NPs or PAs. What we argue is that NPs and PAs need to work on a physician-led team with supervision. And if you're willing to do that, then great. But if you're pushing, saying that I should be able to practice independently from the day I graduate, then unfortunately we don't agree. And we're going to talk to legislators on the state level and try to get them to see that the optimal care for a patient is when NPs and PAs work on a physician-led team. You know, California just recently passed a law saying NPs could work independently. It was opposed for the last night, and you probably umpteen 15 years kind of thing, but they won because they make a convincing argument to legislatures, and they're also going through not the medical board, but the nursing board. Correct. So the nursing board is basically going to endorse the practice of their colleague nurses, and then they feed it to the legislature about, we're going to take care of all these people in these underserved areas, which really is not really the case. Correct. So we are in total... I think it would have been a lot better if we had could, could argue about something here, you know, but, <laughs> but uh, unfortunately we, we can't. So listen, it's, uh, I appreciate you taking the time with us. I'm appreciating you also rounding out the segment so that we have had, I think now, everybody's got their two cents in, and I think that that will be a fair end of, of this, because this is a tough subject, I can tell you, and I've gotten a little beaten up by... Um, some of my colleagues, a little bit, not too much, but it's like, um, I think we're the first to talk about this and bring up some of the issues on MRAP at least. Yes. So thanks for all, for all your time, your attention, and I understand your point of view. And I fortunately think that if a medical director can basically have some influence over the staffing in their department, that we're generally going to be okay. And I agree fully that if you don't see the patient and the hospital has it in such that these folks are there and seeing patients independently. You, you should not be dragged into these cases uh, at all, but, but the fact is you will be. Uh, and yeah, I, that's I, absolutely I, true. 100%. 
So thanks so much, Steve. Appreciate your uh, being of with course. us. Um, listen, is it lunchtime there or dinner time? Have a cheesesteak for me, will you? <laughs> will do. We'll I do. miss them so much. They don't know how to make a cheesesteak in California. No, they, they don't. They, they don't. They don't know what they're doing here. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks. Bye.